Welcome to Crime Spot, your podcast on organized crime. Welcome everyone to a new episode of Crime Spot, your bi-weekly podcast on current trends and developments characterizing organized crime. As always, in our little studio in Vienna, it's me on the mic, Esther, and I'm here with Felix. Hi everyone, and if you do listen to this episode on its day of release, that is the 29th of July, then have a happy Tiger Day. Exactly. Today is Global or International Tiger Day. It's held annually on this day to raise awareness about tiger conservation. Exactly, and today's episode was triggered, or shall we better say, inspired by many conversations and discussions that we have had recently about a new Netflix series that some of you might be familiar with. And this series is The Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem and Madness, which was released earlier this year. That's right. And full disclaimer, I personally haven't watched it, but Esther, you did. That's right. And actually, I thoroughly enjoyed it. (laughs) And from (laughs) what I gather from all the discussions... This series mainly evolves around the life of uh, Mr. Maldonado Passage, aka Joe Exotic, who was a zookeeper and owner of several big cats such as lions and tigers in the United States of America. Yeah, pretty much. The story revolves around a set of real-life characters who were all members of the Big Cat Conservationist and Collector Society in America. And the story really revolves around their journeys as they navigate love and the management of their private zoos and sanctuaries. But of course, part of what makes the series so enticing and somewhat addictive is the drama as they fight and they accuse each other of animal cruelty, of stealing, of illegality, etc. So in today's episode, we would like to ignore all this sensationalism about the case and set aside the persons involved in their private lives, but rather speak about the underlying issue of this big cat industry in the US and overall the legal trade in big cats. So when we say big cats, we refer to lions and tigers and sometimes also hybrids thereof, such as ligers. All right, let's do it. Okay, so let's start in the US because that's where the Tiger King takes place. Right, so in the US, there's no federal law regulating the ownership of big cats, which means it is up to the different states to do so. Depending on which state you live in, you might be able to have big cats such as tigers or lions as pets. It is estimated around five to 10,000 tigers live in the US. Again, five to 10,000. That's more than there are tigers left in the wild worldwide. And to make matters worse, there's no official statistics on this in the US. So even lawmakers have no clue about how many tigers are in private ownership. That's crazy. And actually, I think they touch upon this in the series. It really is crazy, and you also have this phenomenon of roadside zoos, which sometimes claim to be animal sanctuaries. They exhibit big cats and they have instrumentalized big cats' cups. So, for example, tiger babies and as tourist attractions. What do you mean? Well, essentially, those roadside zoos, such as the one the Tiger King was an owner of, attract tourists with activities such as taking selfies with cups uh, while bottle feeding or playing with them. These cup petting attractions are a goldmine for the zoo. National Geographic reported that a three-hour tour with them uh, can generate as much as 700 US dollars per participant. But wouldn't playing with big cats' cubs dangerous? Well, it soon gets dangerous, and that's one of the issues. These cups can practically and legally be cuddled with between 8 and 12 weeks. After that, they're considered too dangerous. This also means that the economic value for the zoo decreases after they reach this 12-week threshold. After that, they can quickly become a burden for their owners. 
Some become exhibits, some others might be used for breeding, some are neglected and continue to live in inhuman in circumstances, while others might simply be killed off to make room for younger cubs. Um, that's also something Joe Exotic did. Right, and of course, releasing them into the wild is not an option. No, absolutely not. And this is also important to bear in mind because some zoos claim to contribute to conservation by breeding tigers, but really it is impossible to release captive bred tigers into the wild as they neither have the skills nor the right genes to survive. And like this, tourists are trapped into believing that they contribute to conservation when petting tiger cubs in roadside zoos. Sometimes they feature even crossbred hybrids such as ligers, which is the result of a male lion and a female tiger mating. And these hybrid species don't exist in the wild as these two animals never cross paths. And of course, this crossbreeding can have health consequences for the animals. Yeah, totally. And it's also hard for people to understand the lives these cubs have had. They come out of um, a breeding facility that secure a steady supply of baby tigers. And after 12 weeks, their economic lifespan is mostly over. And once they're born, they're taken away from their mothers and are used as tourist attractions. Yeah, and actually this is something that's quite striking in the Tiger King series when Joe extracts the little cub from from his mother. Um, but, you know, we're looking at this more from perhaps more of an ethical um, perspective rather than a legal one. But is this actually legal? And if not, where does the illegality intervene? Where along does criminality occur along this supply chain? Well, this entire industry of um, cup feeding and taking pictures, of this is all legal. Um, the illegality is often linked to the fact that these cups are at the heart of the economic success of these zoos and the fact that their economic lifespan is very limited to these 12 weeks, as we said. So in the US, interstate commerce and international trade without a license in tigers are both illegal under the Endangered Species Act. However, this act does not prohibit the possession of these big cats. Okay, so I'm starting to see where this is going. So when zoos decide to dispose of their too old to pet big cats, they either illegally kill them or sell them off to the black market. That's right. I don't know if they mentioned this in the Netflix series, but Joey Exotic was also found guilty on charges relating to killing and selling big cats. Yeah, exa- exactly. They do. So politicians in the US are currently discussing the so-called Big Cat Public Safety Act. It has been introduced in the House of the US Congress, but it didn't pass yet. This act would mean a federal law on ownership of big cats, and in its current form, it would ban activities such as cup uh, petting and uh, would prohibit breeding that is not part of a species uh, survival plan. Exactly, because essentially the lack of a coherent federal law on big cat ownership has facilitated a downward spiral of the big cat industry in the US, in which big cats cubs such as tiger cubs are being used as tourist attractions for the first two, three months of their lives. After that, the risk arises that these cats are being either either illegally killed or illegally sold. Notwithstanding the absence of a federal law on big cat ownerships, Interstate commerce in the US is illegal without a valid license. There has been some anecdotal evidence that tiger and big cat parts are also traded internationally from the US. And in one case in particular, a man from New York City was convicted of selling lion and tiger parts to Thailand. So another question is, what is this global context of the illegal trade in big cats? Yeah, that's correct. That's an, um, an interesting question. And I think at this point, we should speak about what drives the demand for tigers and other big cats. As we saw in the US, big cats are sold after as pets or for economic purposes. But as I, you have looked into what drives the global demand. Is that right? 
Yep, and so from what I found, there are several different uses of tigers and tiger products. As you said, one is the use of tigers as pets, but live trade only makes up a really small part of the illegal trade. Seizure data published by the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, the UNODC, indicates that only 6% of all seizures between 2007 and 2018 were seizures of live tigers. Most seizures, around 40%, is medicine that includes parts of tigers, and others are actual tiger parts, such as skulls, bones, claws, teeth, bodies, and fur. And that's a huge factor of what drives the demand for tiger parts. So a huge factor of what drives this demand is people literally consuming tigers or parts of tigers? Sort of, yeah. And this trade has been going on forever, especially in parts of Asia where they are sought after for medicines, tonics or ornaments. Bones seem to be the most sought after parts of the tiger. And it's believed that these bones transfer the tiger's strength and that it can heal inflammations and treat bone issues. Several products may come out of this, such as tiger wine, glue, or cake. And this wine or glue seems to be the best sellers, actually, among all products. One trend that is observed, though, is that how these products are not only consumed for medical reasons, but increasingly more for luxury or as a symbol of status. And where do these tigers come from? That's hard to tell. We saw that the U- in the US, it really is just a patchwork of legislation regulating big cats, and it's similar across Asia. All big cats, except for the African lion, are listed in the first appendix of the Convention on International Trade in Wild Fauna and Flora, which makes the international commercial trade illegal with some exemptions. So the international trade is clandestine. National legislations vary depending on which country we look at, and they are not streamlined at all. Depending on which country we are talking about, tigers might be sourced from captive breeding facilities such as tiger farms or from the wild. And of course, as we touched upon during our first episode already, captive breeding facilities can also be abused to launder widely sourced animals as captive breds. But we don't really have any data on to what extent this is happening with tigers or other big cats. Do we at least know which countries are known to be home to tigers, for example? So we do have the estimates from 2015. As you said at the beginning, in the US alone, there are thought to be more tigers captives than are left in the wild. If we factor in wild and captive tigers, then China is likely to be number one, followed by the US, and then India and Thailand. Wow, so this illegal trade is what puts tiger populations under such immense pressure that today we're in a situation that we have less than 5,000 left in the wild, is that right? Absolutely. And of course, there are other factors um, such as climate change, habitat loss or general human-animal conflict. But still, the poaching of wild tigers puts the species at risk. Well, at the beginning, you said that those captive breeding facilities have no real value for conservation as the tigers or whichever other big cat is unlikely to ever be released into the wild. But one could also argue that captive bred supply addresses demand and that otherwise would have been satisfied with wild tigers. So captive breeding kind of takes pressure off wild population, doesn't it? Yes, but you could also argue that by supplying the market and by claiming it is good for conservation, you stimulate more demand. And as we said before, captive breeding facilities can be subject to animal laundering. Another point is that consumers generally tend to prefer the original, meaning the one, the animal from the wild, than captive bred animals, which, to be honest, is a little bit absurd because arguably it's quite difficult for consumers to tell them apart. And even if captive breeding of tigers would be done purposely to satisfy consumer demand, the facilities in which tigers are bred would have to be registered under the convention. And here I'm talking about CITES. And the reality is, is that today there are no captive tiger facilities registered. 
And then I guess it also depends on the country we're talking about, right? For example, the US has a big population of tigers, but the animals don't even naturally occur in the country. Yeah, and that's a really good point. You could also see this being relevant in countries across Asia. Seizure data indicates that Thailand and India are the largest source countries for tigers. Thailand has a big captive tiger population, but only around 200 tigers left in the wild. So we could assume that here, tigers are mostly sourced from breeding facilities. Oh, this actually reminds me of this tiger temple case in Thailand, where officials seized over, I think, 100 tigers from this tourist attraction temple because of allegations of this temple contributing to the illegal trade in tigers. Maybe for those of you listening and interested in reading on this, we could link this in the show notes. Yeah, good idea. And we will link um, this case for you in the in the show notes. So as I was saying, while Thailand has many tigers in captivity, but only a small population of wild tigers, India is the opposite. India is home to the largest wild population of tigers, but only a few captive tigers. So presumably tigers being sold from India are more likely to stem from the wild population. And this illegal trade, does it only concern tigers? No, so there are other big cats that have been found in seizures. For example, different leopard species, lions and jaguars. And in some instances, Traders are even known to be selling a particular animal part as belonging to a tiger when in fact it belongs to another. In general, though, it does seem that tigers are the most sought after for consumption. But if we're talking a little bit more about the actors behind this illegal trade, Felix, perhaps you have a bit more of an understanding who is involved. Well, to be honest, there's very little information on that. In the report by UNODC that we mentioned before, it was found that traffickers were mainly Chinese, Indians, and Vietnamese. And according to their analysis, Chinese and Vietnamese traders bridge the gap between the suppliers and source countries. And the, for example, medicinal industry in China or towns along several borders of China, as well as urban markets. So they may link these markets to uh, captive breeding facilities or directly to poachers. This seems to be a trans-Himalayan route, which was found to be mainly used for animals from the wild, while a multitude of other routes through Southeast Asia and the Mekong Delta are used for captive and wild tigers. Really interesting. And, you know, I think that with that, we've really just scratched on the surface of what is an immensely complicated topic here. Let's perhaps draw a line. Like, as I said before, with this episode, we just really wanted to highlight something that, in our view, the Tiger King series had a bit skimmed over. We have started from the US and talked about this industry of roadside zoos and how they might be an interface to criminal activities. And of course, you know, there are so many other issues that we haven't touched upon, such as animal welfare concerns or the incidence of people getting killed by big cats in these facilities. Yeah. And as we sort of zoomed out of the US, we saw that the illegal trade in tigers for medical or luxury consumption is prevalent across many Asian countries, especially in South, East or Southeast Asia. And this concludes today's episode. As we said, the 29th of July is Global or also International Tiger Day. And we just wanted to make a short episode to, to celebrate as well. Um, you should note that traditionally large NGOs and other entities concerned with animal well-being, such as the WWF, have some sort of campaigns on these days. So if you are interested in learning more or in understanding how you can support tigers and big cats, please check out their websites and follow them on social media. Similarly, in order not to miss any of our episodes, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter and to subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you are using. And on the closing remark, we have an exciting announcement to make. We are planning a series of episodes on the topic of 
crime and our oceans because there's really a wide range of criminality out there that abuses the vast spaces and remotenessness of our oceans to commit horrible crimes, including human trafficking, piracy, fish poaching, and many, many more. Exactly. And for this, we had the absolute privilege of interviewing Ian Urbaner, an investigative journalist, former New York Times writer and Pulitzer Prize winner, who has conducted extensive investigations on board of several ships and documented these crimes. So make sure to stay tuned. Exactly. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode. Stay healthy. And we also hope that you will tune in for the next episode. See you very soon.